I think my advice would be the importance of building your project management toolbox. Mm. Um, so learning what are those best practices, whether it's techniques of communication, how to interact with partners externally or internally. What are those tools you need? You know, your templates for budget and timeline and meeting notes. But then in addition to that, also still being able to stay fluid and adaptable and recognizing that you may have to change things up because every project is slightly different. Every partner on that project is slightly different. Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. We've been listening to what you've been telling us about what subjects you're interested in and what kinds of guests you'd like to hear from. And we thank you for your input. Please keep the comments about our podcast coming. You can leave a comment on Google, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whichever podcast listing app you use. You can also leave comments on the Velociteach.com website or on our social media pages. It's your feedback that brings the kind of guests we have on our program today. And Bill Yates, I need to tell you, I'm not sure who suggested we have a podcast about food, but I'm certainly glad they did. <laughs> it's making me hungry just thinking about that. <laughs> Looking forward to getting into that. Brittany is going to describe some projects that she's worked with that are really unique. The stakeholders are unique. The problems to solve are unique. And I think regardless of the type of project we have, we can all learn from Brittany. Well, let's meet our guest. She's Brittany Burkhardsmeyer a project and impact manager at the Atlanta nonprofit Food Well Alliance, a collaborative network of local growers, community leaders, and city leaders working to build thriving community gardens and farms across Metro Atlanta. The goal is to increase access to locally grown food in order to build healthier communities. Brittany holds a master's in public health from Emory University's Rollins School of Public Health with a concentration in global nutrition. Prior to attending graduate school, Brittany worked as program coordinator on the emergency health and nutrition team at Save the Children U.S. in Washington, D.C. Brittany, welcome to Manage This. Thank you for having me. Let's get started by just learning a little bit more about the Food Well Alliance. Mm -hmm. How did that organization get started? So we started in 2015 with funding from our founding benefactor, the James M. Cox Foundation. And we really got started because it was a vision between the Cox Foundation and Bill Bowling, the founder of the Atlanta Community Food Bank. And together they saw an opportunity to connect members of Atlanta's local food movement to collectively build healthier communities. And what about you? I mean, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you meet up with this organization? Yeah, so I got introduced to Food Wall Alliance in 2017 when I was a graduate student at the Rollins School of Public Health at Emory University. So I was getting my master's in public health with a concentration in nutrition. And through a professor and a class, got introduced to Foodwell Alliance and was part of a team that helped write the Atlanta's Local Food Baseline Report, which Foodwell Alliance published. Kind of one thing led to another, and I stayed on. And so, yeah. I've got something that I have to confess right off the top. Uh-oh. I hate cucumbers. <laughs> so no. when, you, when you studied nutrition and we talk about, you know, local farms and farming and bringing vegetables and fruit to local communities, I have to go ahead and confess. I am totally cool with this conversation as long as we don't say we have to have cucumbers. Can we agree to that? So, so you're this guy that when somebody brings in masses of cucumbers that they've grown at home in their garden to give out to, to all share. Their, yeah, to share. You kind of... I curse them. Yeah. yeah. 
Good news uh, is the farms and gardens grow a lot of other things. Okay, in that's good. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm on board with this conversation. <laughs> I'm probably going to get some hate mail on that, and I get it, they're nutritional, but I am sorry, it just doesn't do it for me. Uh, there are many vegetables that I do fully endorse and embrace and eat very consistently, but <laughs> cucumbers are not it. Okay, All right. I just had to hate on it just for a minute. When I think about, okay, you go to school and you pursue nutrition mm-hmm. and you go deep into that. And then you find an organization that connects with a passion that had to be fun for you. And I mean, for so many people, they're deeper into their career. They've been working for quite a while and they're like, yeah, I still don't really enjoy. I haven't really found that thing, but it seems like you were able to make that connection with this organization. It's like, okay, this is a passion point for me. Was that the case? Yeah. The thing that's also really exciting about it is, so nutrition's really broad, right? There's a lot that fits under that. Um, From the health side to then like food and security, do people have access to food? And Foodwell kind of bridges a lot of those gaps. Mm. So yes, I came at it originally from nutrition in terms of making sure that's how people are getting their nutrients and they're staying healthy. But then my time at Foodwell Alliance, I've learned about why healthy soil and compost is so important to make sure that the food that you're eating is nutritious, Mm. why it's important for people to have access to these foods, whether that's farm stands at, you know, urban farms or farmers markets or community gardens kind of producing for themselves and the families that are there. You have been thrust in this role of project manager. Yes. Uh, What kind of prepared you for that role? It wasn't something that I really knew much about going into it. So it's not like I went into school being like, okay, project management is what I want to do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But it was one of those things where in my career, both before Foodwell Alliance and then really at Foodwell Alliance, colleagues and managers kept kind of being Mm -hmm. like, you know, the skills you're exhibiting are really great skills for project management. Mm -hmm. And so the more that I looked into, okay, what is project management? What does a project manager do? Really realizing that that is what I was doing in the projects that I had been placed in. And that's what I was enjoying doing. I enjoyed working with a bunch of different people on something and kind of not necessarily being the expert, but working with all of the experts and really bringing them together to produce something kind of incredible. And for not-for-profits such as the Atlanta Food Well Alliance, it's so important to bring in somebody that's got that skill set and that natural bend of, okay, I'm good at connecting people and managing stakeholders and helping to find requirements and then getting it done. Yeah. And, you know, it's been interesting for me because sometimes that's just internal with my colleagues, right? There can be a bunch of us within different teams, even though we're a small organization, really kind of, okay, how do I project manage that internally? But then definitely externally as well, because we do work with so many different partners. I wanted to ask you about those stakeholders. You know, we kick around that word stakeholder, but you do, you've got internal, you've got experts that obviously know a lot about nutrition and a lot about land use and things like that. But then you partner with everybody from folks wearing coveralls to people wearing, you know, three-piece suits. You have politicians, you have people with a lot of money, you have people that have very intense needs locally. What prepared you for that? (laughs) I'm not sure, to be honest, Um, but it is probably one of my favorite parts of Mm. what I do is working with everything from the farmers and the growers. So I work on a couple of projects with Truly Living Well Center for Natural Urban Agriculture, which is an urban farm in the West Side, all the way up to, you know, organizations like the Atlanta Botanical Garden, the Atlanta Community Tool Bank, and kind of everything in between. 
And then especially when I get projects where I can bring all those different entities together around one project um, has just been really amazing. Can you give me an example, Brittany, of a project and just sort of the steps and how it's worked? Yeah. So one project I've been working on this year is called Plant Eat Repeat, and it's in partnership with the Atlanta Botanical Garden and Park Pride. And what we do is we provide workshops around community garden topics. And we're doing them kind of seasonally. So we did one in the spring, one in the summer, and then one in the fall. And every season, we've got about four to five workshops. Same topics throughout the season, but at different community gardens to kind of be able to rotate it around so people can attend at different gardens. And so I kind of help with the logistics of making sure, you know, those that are supposed to kind of contact the gardens have that we know what dates we're going, what time we're going. And then Atlanta Botanical Garden has really helped develop that content for those workshops. And they're the ones that are helping to kind of teach at those workshops. And then Park Pride has been helping us kind of promote those as well. And, and all three partners really help promote. There's another example that I wanted to ask about, yeah. too. This just, this blows my brain to even think about this. There are times when I think we've all been talking before about, you know, you're walking in a very urban area. You may be in around skyscrapers or just very, you know, dense, highly developed property. And then you turn a corner and there's a garden. Yeah. And my brain is just blowing up going, okay. How did this ever happen? Mm -hmm. How did somebody give this land or how was this land available for use? And then, you know, from a standpoint of how is the ground prepared so that it, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, the, so that it's able to produce the kind of fruit that we see. One example that I saw on the website was for, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, Aluma Farm. Mm -hmm. So it's a five minute walk from the Beltline. Yep. Now, for those who are not familiar with the Beltline, somebody help me out with that. What is the Beltline in Atlanta? Nick, have you been on the Beltline? I have not. Sorry. Not much help. Not much help there. <laughs> I don't know kind of how you'd exactly describe it, but essentially it's my understanding, because I'm not an Atlanta native, I've only mm -hmm. been here four years, is that they've kind of torn up old railroads that went around the city and they're kind of redeveloping them and turning them into walk and bike lanes. And yeah. it's supposed to ultimately kind of connect the city. Right now there's pockets of it that are finished. They're still working right. on it. Yeah, it's award-winning, and the project, I think, of the High Line in New yeah. York. So there again, they took, a, I think, in that case, a raised railroad system that moved into Manhattan that was used for moving livestock, you know, mostly back in the early 1900s. And they redeveloped that into this amazing space, and there's gardens all around that as well. Now Atlanta's done that as well with the Beltline. Mm -hmm. So back to the Luma Farm. Luma Farm is right off the Beltline. How in the world did they find that property or who donated that? How did you guys help bring awareness to that or help support the farmers with that? So again, I don't know all of the specifics to it. A lot of it kind of came before me. And I think we've helped with the farm after it's been a little bit more yeah. established. But my understanding is that the Beltline did set aside some pockets of land along the Beltline for urban farms. And I think even a few for community gardens. Aluma is their first, and it's kind of, it was their pilot, right, to see how it would work. And they're doing amazing. Andy and Andrea that work on Aluma Farm, they've had to put a lot of work into getting that soil up to be as healthy as it can to really produce what they can produce. But it's amazing to see their photos of that first year that they were there. And, you know, they weren't really able to produce as much as they could to now, I want to say they're three or four years later, it's incredible what they've mm. been able to produce. But a lot of that comes from 
the compost. You know, that's, yeah. that's a huge part of it. And what do they produce? Other than cucumbers, <laughs> I assume they're fruits and vegetables. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I know they do a lot of microgreens for okay. restaurants. But they've got, let's see, tomatoes. My favorite is kind of in the summer when they have okra growing. Okay, I'm with you on that. I've got southern roots, and so okra's been my favorite. And they do a lot. I think right now, because it's winter, it's a lot of leafy greens. So lettuces and kales, that kind of stuff. I believe they did strawberries in the summer as well. And peppers are usually a big one as well. And are they taking this produce and both selling it to local business and then also some of the land available for use for independent farmers who just need it themselves, or what do they do with that? At this location, Aluma, Aluma is the only one that's there. There are a couple of other urban farms that have a little bit more space, and they kind of share it out or rent it out to other farmers. But this one, Aluma, is just there. They have a farm stand on site, so every Thursday afternoon, they have a kind of farm stand where people can come by and buy produce. I know that they also do CSA shares. So people can come get kind of a box each season that's got whatever they're producing. What is CSA? What does that stand for? Community Supported Agriculture. (laughs) (laughs) Made me think there. So I know that they're doing that. And then their microgreens, they sell to restaurants, um, which again, a number of the farms will do. It's just another income revenue source. But Aluma also works with Wholesome Wave Georgia to double EBT or SNAP benefits. So those that might necessarily have the income to kind of afford full price produce. They work with Wholesome Waves so that, you know, if tomatoes are $4, then the individuals pay $2, but Wholesome mm. Wave helps subsidize the remaining cost. Now, this being nonprofit, you must have a lot of volunteers that you're able to utilize. We do, yeah, especially around our community gardens. To date for this year, we've had over 1,500 people volunteer with us on community gardens. Wow, whoa. Yeah, and that's pretty much on average every year. It's a big, big program that we offer. You know, we've we've spoken with project managers before, Nick, and everybody struggles with what's the right way to communicate with the different types of stakeholders that I have. I imagine you have to struggle with that, too. Yes. Uh, any advice on figuring out what's the most effective way to communicate with this diverse group of stakeholders? Yeah, that has definitely been a challenge um, that I'm still figuring out. Because then you also have your own personal preference of how to communicate, Mm -hmm. right? So whether is that email or is that phone calls or these days, is it better to text someone Mm -hmm. because you're going to get a better response from that? So I feel like I'm still kind of figuring that out, but also have learned it's really important for me to stay adaptable and just kind of learn them as people as well. So who's my point of contact at that partner organization and how do they prefer to communicate? What Mm -hmm. makes the most sense between us? So I don't know that I've necessarily found one right way because I do on one project and then I go to another project and that person won't answer any emails, but I can pick up the <laughs> phone and they'll answer right away. Right. Isn't that so funny? yeah. Yeah, that's the way it is. <laughs> yep. Wow. To what extent do you work with local or state governments? So that's a new part of what we've been doing is working with city governments because we learned that you know, it's great to work directly with the growers and there's a lot of direct resources we can provide to them. We work kind of also with just like general communities and people to really show them like this is what's happening. But we started realizing that also a lot of kind of the needs that growers needed specifically around land, we had to start working with directly with city governments. So that's new for us. This is our first year. We serve five counties here in Metro Atlanta and there's 54 cities within those five counties. And so far we've only engaged with seven cities but not bad for our first year. <laughs> right. 
but it's really how do we empower them to include growers in kind of some of these decisions around prioritizing local food, especially around, you know, saving that land, that food producing land, especially as our cities are growing and they're redeveloping. So how do you not lose that and really protect that? One of the keys that I see to success for a project manager is being able to articulate a problem statement to the sponsor or to the customer, in this case, to the community. And I think you guys have knocked it out of the park with that. As I look again at some of the examples, Miller City Farm, one of the write-ups on the website, the question is stated, how are malnourished students supposed to concentrate? Mm -hmm. And that's such a great problem statement. So as you step into these meetings with government officials or with landowners, et cetera, you're able to point straight to that. So kudos to you guys in that. Thank How did you. y'all come up with that strategy? How did you, you know, as I was just looking at the different examples, they're pretty clear problem statements in each one. Did you guys stumble into that or was that something that you kind of have as a, an approach to take? I think what we really try to do is be the voice for these growers. Yeah. So not necessarily dictate what the growers should be doing, what their problem statement is, but how do we help be the one to bring all those voices together into one louder voice? Sometimes we work with the farms and with the growers to really understand like, okay, what is your problem statement? What is it that you're trying to do? What do you need to do that? But a lot of them, that's also, they know that that's how they kind of came into this work. And so we're really just trying to be their advocates and be Hmm. the voice to get them a seat at the table. Yeah. I had the sense as I was looking it over, you kind of find a formula for one group that wants to take a piece of land and develop their farmers and whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you realize, okay, this is how they had success. This is how they broke through with the government entities they're dealing with, their city. And so now we can help the next farmer. When they come along, we've kind of got a tool set for them to help them know, hey, here's what resonates. Here's what gets you the land. Here's what gets you the compost. Here's what gets you the volunteers. Right. But again, needing that adaptability because it also depends on, well, how receptive is the city? How receptive are their residents? So Uh, what might work in one city for one farm might not necessarily work in another city, whether that's just receptiveness or for policies, whatever it might be. So what are some of your biggest obstacles that you face as a project manager? It's the complexity of working with different partners or stakeholders. It's also probably the part that I enjoy the most, whether that's internally, right? So making sure that our leadership is aligned with my colleagues that are actually going to be implementing the work but really just making sure we're all aligned. We all know what we all want to get out of it and what our vision is for the project. But then it just, the complexity kind of adds as you add additional external partners. Like how many partners am I working with on one project? Who's my point of contact at those organizations? Are they a decision maker within that organization? And if they're not, which is perfectly fine, what does their internal structure look like to get a decision made, right? Because if you need internal improvement on something, Is that going to take two weeks or is that a couple of days? So really just kind of trying to figure out what that looks like in an external organization so that we know how to adapt our timeline accordingly. And then I equally try and be transparent back and provide that same information to the partners of like, so if we need approval on, let's say it's a promotional item, here's who I have to talk to internally. Here's how much time it'll, on average, it'll take us to accomplish that. It seems like there must be a little bit of detective in you. Uh, (laughs) Problem solver, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. One question I have that I I hear project managers bring up often is, 
One of my biggest obstacles to overcome is I don't know a lot about the specific, the science or the, the metrics that we're working in or this particular industry. I'm the project manager. I don't know the technical side. I think in your case, you do, you know, you've got a background in nutrition. How much has that helped when you're trying to overcome obstacles or get people to give you feedback that you need? So funny enough, majority of my projects since working at Food Wall Alliance have been around compost. And I knew nothing about compost. So you're a compost expert. I'm getting there. I wouldn't say expert. You got your <laughs> doctor in compost. So, but that's a great, like, that's definitely what I experienced. I mean, they would use these terms and I was like, I have no idea what that means or what you're talking about yeah. and what the science behind how you actually create compost. So that's been a learning experience. But again, something I realized that I absolutely love about project management is that I'm not always the subject matter expert, but I get to work with the subject matter experts. And so I get to learn all these little tidbits. So whether it's on the science behind compost and, you know, you need your nitrogen and your carbon and what constitutes that, or there've been a couple of construction projects we've done around actually building three bin compost systems for community gardens. Again, I'm not a construction person, but now getting to work with my colleagues and getting to work with kind of a construction contractor to make those, I've learned a lot through that as well. Now, there's been some compost legislation, correct? So there's government involvement. What are you in saying? This. Are you are you <laughs> describing legislation as compost? Is that what you're saying? Or are you uh, saying specific? Well, to now the... that you mention it, there's probably <laughs> that's probably applicable. Okay. <laughs> But, but what, what what do you run into when you're uh, you know dealing with compost and say uh, environmental laws? Our policy and planning team is the one that really kind of interacts the most with those laws. So I don't know them, the specifics, but what I will say, one of the biggest hurdles that not just Food Wall Alliance, but anyone doing kind of this compost related work is the misunderstanding of what compost really is. So a lot of times it's seen as smelly and dirty and garbage and mm -hmm. waste. And so what we're all kind of running into is how do we change that perception? How do we raise awareness that actually it's this beautiful thing that is filled with nutrients and that's what makes our food nutritious. And so we need it. And there's the environmental factor of instead of throwing your food scraps into landfills, you can put it back into the earth and back into the soil. Mm -hmm. So I would say in addition to kind of laws and regulations, a lot of it has to do around misunderstanding of what compost is and seeing it as garbage and waste instead mm -hmm. of this nutrient-rich soil that we need. So when the compost hits the combine fans, um, you know, <laughs> what, what, how, what, do you, what do you do? Uh, you I know, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> She's still working on that doctorate yeah, in compost. Exactly. <laughs> See, not the expert yet. <laughs> Can you just tell us a little bit about how this all works? I mean, when you're contacted by a potential new grower, is there a certain procedure that happens? Not necessarily. We, a lot of times, tend to provide resources kind of post that. But for community gardens, my colleague, Fred Conrad, who's been doing this over 20 plus years, he's really an expert when it comes to community gardens. He will, you know, answer any questions that people have if they're looking to start a community garden or they've just started and they're not really sure what to do. He'll also arrange to take them on a small tour of different types of community gardens just to show them what their options are of here's different ways it can look. Here's how membership can work. And then along that process, really help answer any questions that they have. For farms, we've always been a connector. So we're really great at connecting different people together. So we'll make sure that if it's a new farmer, 
we connect them to other farmers, especially ones kind of geographically around them or that are interested in similar, you know, farming techniques. Also make sure to connect them to organizations like the Atlanta Farmers Coalition or Southwest Atlanta's Growers Cooperative. Hmm. So really just make sure that they're connected to their peers and the experts to help answer those questions. And then are they in charge of their own little piece of land? Or, you know, is there a certain amount of control that farmer might have? Or what point does your organization step in, you know, with volunteers to help maintain it? So we don't run and operate any of these community gardens or urban farms. We're really there just as a resource to the growers. We don't mandate that they have to have volunteers. They request volunteers from us. Or sometimes we'll have a volunteer group that's like, hey, we'd like to work with community gardens. So my colleagues will reach out to a couple of community gardens and be like, we've got this group of people. Are you interested? What days would you be available? What projects would you have for them? We're really here to support the growers and we really listen to what they need and what they want. And we try our best to provide that for them. So I see an example. I love this one. Grow with the flow. <laughs> yeah. uh, Reggie and Roger Ramos. Yeah. So talk us through, like, what resources do you offer folks like that? They have a vision in their head. They're not really sure how to get there. They turn to you guys for some help. What resources do you offer? Yeah, so within our resource center, and that's the team that I specifically sit on, we still offer grants. That's how we started originally, was providing you know funding yeah. to growers. That's definitely still a big piece. But what we've really learned in these last four to five years is that money isn't always the like magic bullet, mm -hmm. right? That there's other resources that are needed. So outside of grants, we also offer compost, whether that's actual compost delivery. There we go. Same. I like it. <laughs> our compost <laughs> infrastructure or trainings around compost. We offer different workshops and trainings to growers. Technical assistance. So sometimes that'll be, that one's more kind of for the community gardens, but, you know, garden improvement or tours. For the farms, really, the biggest part we've really started this year is around kind of our tools and equipment. So we just started this tool lending program with the Atlanta Community Tool Bank. And so BCS tractors and their attachments are implements and tools that can help farmers sure. do what they do, but they're expensive. Yeah. So we worked with the Atlanta Community Tool Bank to purchase two BCS tractors and six different attachments that now the growers can become sub-users of Foodwell Alliance's account and actually borrow those nice. tools. Yeah. And so we offer some training around that. We want to make sure they know how to use it. Mm -hmm. um, but then they're, you know, able to borrow them for, I think it's like three days. So that's been a huge resource. And we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from the growers around that one. And then, you know, there's mechanical assistance. So sometimes they'll need my colleagues to come out and help plow a field or, you know, maybe some tools broke down and, you know, my colleague Fred Conrad can come kind of help repair those. And then the last resource is volunteers. But our volunteers right now have mainly been for the community gardens. They're still trying to work out what volunteers would look like for farms. Uh, this is a kind of an off-the-wall question, but I know for me, with some of the projects that I've managed, if I'm able to get face-to-face -face with the end user, it makes such a difference. It has yeah. such an impact. Have you been impacted by that kind of experience? Yeah, that is one of my favorite parts of project managing and something that I try and do frequently is, you know, a lot of my projects I can kind of sit in my office or sit at my desk, but I really try and make sure I'm out at the farms. So I've had the opportunity with this tool lending program, which is one of the projects I manage, I actually get to go out and be at the training locations and interact with the growers and watch them learn how to use these BCS tractors. 
I haven't taken it myself yet, um, <laughs> but that may be one day. But yeah, I absolutely love going out to the farms and visiting with the growers and, you know, hearing what they need and mm. how can I be more helpful? How can Food Wall Alliance be more helpful? What more can we provide? Yeah. And some of the results are just, I mean, you know, I'm reading thousands and thousands of pounds of fresh fruit, fresh produce. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's got to be exciting for you guys and keep you charged up to continue your vision. Yeah, I mean, and we really see urban farms and community gardens as really strengthening cities. So in addition to providing all of this produce, just what they bring to neighborhoods. I mean, it's green space in some mm. of these neighborhoods that don't have a lot of green space or turning vacant lots into production fields of food. And then they become gathering places. So like Aluma with their farm stand on Thursdays, it's wonderful to drive by there and you see so many people both from the neighborhood that have walked down and others that have driven in because they know of Aluma. So it's just amazing to see these spaces and how they mm. transform their communities. I can relate to that. If you have nothing in common with someone, you just met them for the first time and you've got, there's nothing in common. But then if you have a common goal, you know, mm -hmm. let's weed this row or let's plant this mm -hmm. and you work together, you sweat together, you drink water together, you bond that makes for healthier communities. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we all eat, right? We Absolutely. all have to eat. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, where you live. And that's always been kind of how I've approached nutrition. And so it's been amazing to see that still the same connector at Food Wall Alliance. But then as you were saying, even then when it comes to actually growing the food and just what that can do, also getting your hands in the soil, what it can do. So how and where can I eat? some of this food. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely visit our website, foodalliance.org. And we've got, you know, growers sites on there and farmers markets are always kind of popping up. Same with community gardens. Sometimes they're hard to keep track of because there's always new ones kind of popping up mm. around the city. But yeah, I'd say that's a place to start for sure. You know, you're a new project manager. There's probably listeners who are kind of in the same shoes that you are. Mm -hmm. What would you want to say to them? What have you learned here in your first forays into project management that maybe would be good to share? Yeah, I think my advice would be the importance of building your project management toolbox. Mm. Um, so learning what are those best practices, whether it's techniques of communication, how to interact with partners externally or internally. What are those tools you need? You know, your templates for budget and timeline and meeting notes. But then in addition to that, also still being able to stay fluid and adaptable and recognizing that you may have to change things up because every project is slightly different. Every partner on that project is slightly different. So really, you know, firm and yet fluid at the same time. Hmm. Firm and fluid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And know your compost. Yes. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we always like to talk about lessons learned. Mm -hmm. Anything that you wish you had known then that you know now? That partner management is a huge part of project management. And again, externally for sure, which I think people will always kind of think about, but even internally, you know, really kind of treating my colleagues as partners the same way that I do with external organizations that we partner with. And so... That takes a lot of time and energy sometimes, making sure there's alignment on everyone on the project, making sure, you know, I really understand where everyone's coming from so that everyone is heard and feels heard. But then also, where do you make those compromises? How do you still make everyone feel good about the work that they're doing? So that was something I didn't realize was a huge part of project management initially and have learned. 
Can we give that web address one more time for people who might want to know more information? Yeah, definitely. So it's foodwellalliance.org. And then feel free also to follow us on Instagram at foodwellalliance. Brittany, it's been so great having you here on Manage This. We have a special gift for you, this coffee mug. It's big. It's probably not big enough to be a compost bin. <laughs> Uh, no, not quite, I, yeah, but... Yeah. And, and I wouldn't uh, plant cucumbers in it either. But, <laughs> Thank uh, you. Thank you. Yeah. But enjoy. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for being with us. Before we go, we want to remind our listeners about the free PDUs you just earned for listening to this podcast. To claim your professional development units toward your recertifications, go to Velociteach.com and choose Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and click right through the steps. That's it for this episode of Manage This. We hope you'll tune back in on February 4th for our next edition. So until next time, keep calm and manage this.